Howdy, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. Uh, Once again, I have, um, I only have three movies I've watched. The problem is that I'm watching stuff for an episode we're doing in a couple weeks, Mm -hmm. so I don't want to talk about in the journal. And then other stuff I'm watching, like the thing I'm in the middle of right now is six hours long. Uh, We'll talk about it. Yeah, we'll talk about that next uh, next week. So I only have three things that I can talk about. And one of them is three hours long. Um, but I'm just going to jump right in. I did really quick. I want to, I wanted to address just in case, uh, just in case anybody was, was wondering, because I assume people are always listening and judging. Um, (laughs) but, uh, one thing, so yes, there is a, obviously we're going to be doing a, a, a profile in, in a couple weeks and, we watch movies in preparation for that. And I almost always, I wouldn't say I have a panic attack so much as I am just in a constant state of fear and dread. Here's why. Because I feel like I need to bring something to the movie journal, something. Uh But now I feel like, okay, I can, like I've got 24 hours in a day and yes, I still have a job that is taking up some of my time. So there's that. Um, So it's like, okay, I've got some time. I can either watch something that I can then talk about during the profile, lest anybody get angry that I haven't seen enough movies by so-and-so. And in doing so, I now don't have anything to bring to the movie journal. And then mm-hmm. people get mad at me, like, why on earth do you host a movie podcast when you don't watch any movies? And or, how, how many people have actually said this to you? Said, Zero. Uh, I'm going to, you know what? There have been one, once or twice, uh-huh. we've done a profile and people have commented uh, yeah. that, why would you profile so-and-so without watching thus and such? Yeah, I, so I, that does there happen. Are, there are, because uh, it was a busy time in my life, the Burt Reynolds is, sure. was the one that I'd like, I really wish, I'm glad that I, you know, watched Sharky's Machine or whatever, but I really wish that I'd gotten, you know, that I'd watched Gator or, or White yeah. Lightning. Uh, like, uh, I, I'm bummed about that. And, and that's the thing is, uh, so I definitely, like, every, every time we do, uh, we decide on the next profile, I'm just like, okay, so... And, I, and I'm also, that's the other thing. I'm not great with time management. And so it's just like, okay, I have a few hours. I can either do this and I can either think in the short term or the long term, uh, which one am I going to torture myself for more? <laughs> and uh, you know what? It's about even, I'd say. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so just in case anybody was wondering, even if they're, if perhaps they're silently judging me, uh, I would say like, don't worry, I'm there with you. I'm judging myself all the time. And I am, I feel like I'm constantly, constantly coming up short in everything that I do. And just wait until we get to the movies that I have to talk about today. Oh, oh that'll be, be so, fun. You'll be so angry at what I've watched. Well, you know what? My first one might be in that category because okay. almost everything that I, I'm watching a lot, Natalie and I are watching a lot of TV together, but as far as my movie watching, I'm still chiefly watching stuff just for the website of the podcast, you know, mm-hmm. stuff I have to review or stuff I have to talk about. Uh, but I did Friday night, take some time out, time out to just watch a new movie 
that I wanted to watch. And I watched, directed by a friend of the show, Rachel Goldenberg, mm-hmm. Valley Girl 2020. The Valley Girl yes. remake. I have no reason to watch it. It was already uh, already out. Um, well, friend of the show. I mean, you know, you, I'm sure right after you called up Rachel and said, hey, great, yeah. great work. No, haven't spoken to Rachel since uh, she was on the podcast. <laughs> um Seven, seven years, years ago. ago. Yeah. yeah. That's it. I, I did. I, when we did our 500th episode, I did send, I think you and I sent like thank you emails to, I think yeah. between the two of us, we covered everyone who'd ever been on the show. So, yeah. but I, I can't remember if she wrote back or not, but I definitely would have written her. And that was what, 2017? No, when was a 17 or 18? I don't remember now. 17 sounds right. October 2017, maybe. Maybe not October trying to remember i'm not good with math it was i it was in the fall yeah maybe it was around then um now that's gonna bug me um anyway uh so yeah uh valley girl you know what it's not we talked about on the on the most recent um episode with scott and julie we talked about uh, julie brought up that this is a movie that had been completed and on the shelf for um a couple of years at this point um and i would say i don't not understand why there was some hesitance to put it out but it's also much more in- it's not the train wreck you're thinking it's over long and it sags a lot in the middle uh and it doesn't hold a candle to the energy of the original um and also i I don't know if you remember the movie journal months ago when i watched the martha coolidge's original uh Mm. valley girl and i said how sort of phony and like uh 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 sanitized the um the version of the 80s la punk scene seemed in that movie compared to this movie that movie is the decline of western civilization (laughs) like (laughs) this is so fakey um, but, uh, and, and I, I think, unfortunately there's not great chemistry between the two leads, Jessica Roth and Josh Whitehouse. Um, but what is there is, um, and here's an episode, I, uh, idea if we haven't already done it, cause I know we've talked about it before, but, um, um, a movie that's better than its screenplay. Not, not that, sure. not that this is a, a, an atrocious screenplay, but, I will say not just because she's a friend of the show, a lot of what's enjoyable about this Valley girl clearly comes from Rachel Goldenberg and her desire to have something fun going on at pretty much every moment. It's, uh, it feels like, um, another, another comparison between the original and, and, and this is the original was a 1983 movie that was made with a fairly low budget and so therefore actually serves as a really good time capsule of the valley in 1983 it's not big lavish sets it's like yeah. locations it's people's actual like wardrobes like it actually looks like this this looks like you know a tell a game a telephone of what the early 80s actually looked like there's also for some reason i'm not sure what the reason is other than just have something like flashy to look at the the valley characters in the original are certainly you know they're solidly middle class they're better off than the gutter punks in in hollywood but they're not rich kids yeah. where but in this one they are rich kids <laughs> like the when they have a party it's a big huge like you know hollywood hill or you know valley side hollywood hills type of type of party and it's fun it say, like, a lot it's to, a, a lot, gives you a lot to look at and stuff but go ahead it's a musical so it's going to be more polished just in 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 general and 
the Valley by and large is not super polished as a place except for a, a few key areas. And so it's almost like in order to, in order to justify the polish of the film itself, it needs, you need to like raise the, the class of the characters <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. that are in it. Um, but uh, yeah, mostly it's just, it's, you know, it's just a jukebox musical of songs from the early eighties. A lot of the songs that were in the original Valley girl, and a lot that aren't. So they're just like 80s, 80s songs. Uh, they work to a varying degree. The uh, girls just want to have fun, which is the beach number that goes up onto the pier is a, just a grand, big grand musical number. I really liked it. Um, I liked, uh, and now I forgot what the song was, but there's a, there's a great sequence at a costume party. And it's the, it's it's just like a Halloween party. Yeah, I guess maybe it's just a Halloween party. I can't remember uh, uh, what it is. But so everyone is just dressed up as 1983 pop culture people. So it's even if you're not enjoying that, it's a long sequence. Even if you're not enjoying it, you can just busy yourself by looking in the background and trying to pick out all the different all the different references. You know, there's Andrew Dice Clay chatting up Madonna and, and you know, there's Elliot from ET and, and uh, a lot of fun stuff. Um, some of the musical numbers, it feels like, like used to happen on Glee. Like it's a real song that wasn't written about what's going on in the movie. So it feels like kind of a stretch to like, okay, I can see how just can't get enough kind of fits to how this character is yeah. feeling right now. But the one, the, the big, I guess in musical terms, the 11 o'clock number is under pressure. Huh? And it's surprising how well it works because it's the, um, it's looking at, it's, it's a, it's a catalytic moment for every character in the movie. And so it's one of those musical numbers that like picks up different characters at different points. And it's the night as everyone's getting ready for prom or maybe pointedly not getting ready for prom, you know, and everyone's going under different pressures. And then you've even got like perfectly things like the line, you know, uh, this is our last dance just as the kids are like piling into the limo on the way to prom. And then like, and then the moment, you know, um, why don't we give ourselves one more chance? Why don't we give love one more chance actually works as like a character having a development, like at that moment, like realizing why don't we give it one last chance? That's a really good number. Um, but, uh, yeah, the movie's fun. Lots of eye candy. Uh, I don't just mean that the cast is very attractive. Um, and it's not, Purient of me to say that because even though they're playing uh, teenagers, um, pretty much uniformly the cast is pushing thirty. Oh, I don't <laughs> doubt it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's not perfect. Like I said, and for the kind of movie it is, it feels like a movie that should clock in at under ninety minutes, and it's like an hour and forty five minutes, so it feels a little longer than it than it should. But um, I'm glad I watched it. It was a fun time. All right, so this is a rewatch, and it's a rewatch of a movie that came out last year, uh, and I talked about it then. Okay. Uh, but uh, as you know, uh, Jen and uh, her friend have been working their way through the MCU, and they finally, at long last, got to the very last film that is currently available, which is Spider-Man Far From Home. And uh, I wasn't planning on watching it with Jen, but uh, but I sat down and... and, uh, and it's like, well, I'm, I'm going to eat some dinner, so I might as well uh, watch this with her. And lo and behold, I got sucked in, watched the whole thing. It's a very good movie. Um, there are moments that I'm just like, okay, this, like there's a sequence of uh, exposition that is almost to the point of being just shameless. Mm. Just a character revealing something 
solely because we're here watching it. And we really shouldn't be from a perspective standpoint. But anyway, um, but it's a, it's a very good movie. And I think uh, John Watts does a really great job with, with the visuals. We're dealing with Mysterio. So, of course, there's going to be all these beautiful and, and mind-bending illusions. It reminds me of Doctor Strange yeah. in that regard. Uh, but the thing I wanted to talk about, so I'm not going to be talking very long. The thing I wanted to talk about is something I couldn't say when I first saw the film because there is a little bit of a spoiler but I'm going to say it now um, because the spoiler isn't necessarily a plot spoiler as it is something else. Um, so you know how there's the movie and then there's the initial credits, then there's a scene, then there's the scrolling credits, and then there's a, a, a scene at the end. Okay. So the mid credits scene, as I think it is called, features uh, Peter Parker and uh, MJ, played by uh, Zendaya, who is quite charming in the film. And uh, though she's, she goes by MJ, I don't think her character's name is Mary Jane. Um, so it's an, it's an odd uh, choice there. But she's quite good, and she has tremendous chemistry, I think, with Tom Holland. Um, so they're flying through the city, uh, or rather, he, they're swinging through the city because she knows who he is now. And, uh, and, on, and they're in New York, and on this big screen, uh, there's like a news report about the events that we've just seen. And then it cuts to... And then this, it says, oh, this, this uh, footage was revealed by the controversial news website, The Daily Bugle. And then it cuts to uh, almost like a YouTube presence, almost like a, what's it, Alex Jones? Is that, uh -huh. his guy? Is that Yeah, okay. yeah, I think Like so. an Alex Jones. And it's J. Jonah Jameson, played by J.K. Simmons. Uh-huh. And that... It sounds weird because like, it sounds so strange. So I saw the movie in the theater and when he is revealed to be J. Jonah Jameson, and I think this is it. I think if they, you know, when they make another Spider-Man, I don't think he's going to be a major character. It's just like a little, one could even say an Easter egg, except there is a plot aspect to it uh, because he is revealing something. Uh, and it's J.K. Simmons playing the character the exact same way that he did in the uh in the Sam Raimi films. He looks a little bit different, but he's doing the same kind of thing. He's like, yeah. If you're an Alex Jones type, that's the only way you can be as over the top <laughs> as you were in that initial thing. But what, I, what gets me, and when I talk about it, I get, God help me, I get choked up. Because, and I don't think it's a function of nostalgia, but it is a little bit, I'm sure. Which is, this is, there have been two reboots of Spider-Man since those movies, mm -hmm. all right? And historically, Sony... Uh, and I guess any other, uh, any other kind of, um, any other production company or studio, when they do a reboot, they kind of want you to not think about the previous thing because then you're going to be comparing and what if that one was better in some way? Mm -hmm. uh, and now, and, but they're inviting the, by having JK Simmons, they're inviting the comparison. And I'm sure there was somebody at Sony who said, we can't do that. We can't have J.K. Simmons play J. Jonah Jameson. And whether it be John Watts or whoever it was, but someone said, guys, there is only one person that can play this character. <laughs> All right. Uh, and I know that we've got legal stuff to think about. I know that we, we have all the standard studio issues and concerns with him playing this character for about a minute and a half. I get that, but this is, it sounds weird because it's so, and I, and I realize I'm getting lofty about it. But it's like, but this is bigger than that. It would be somehow wrong in the, lar in the larger cultural, pop cultural mindset 
for anybody else to play this character. And so, you know what? We're going to throw out all this, all the usual studio decorum. And we're just going to do this because, because this is bigger than that. We're going to be truer to, we're going to be true to the character and we're going to be true to people's not memory and affection for that character. And I know that sounds so weird to think about, but undoubtedly there, there had to have been debates amongst executives over that decision because it does, it does invite comparison. And certainly with the previous in uh, the previous version of Spider-Man, Andrew Garfield and all that, which didn't go over super well, they definitely didn't want to invite comparisons there. But, uh, but yeah, here, especially because the, this new Spider-Man is kind of this joint venture between Disney and Sony. I imagine Disney maybe didn't want any connection with when, you know, when Sony owned the character outright. So it just got me, it just, it was one of those rare moments. I go into movies like this, like this, so cynical. Definitely, I'm willing to let the movie take me away and all of that. But I definitely, you can so often see the studio calculation that in this instance, yes, they could have been capitalizing on nostalgia. But at the same time, I was able to see the debate that happened. And then eventually, Mm-hmm. The director and the character and John Watts apparently called Sam Raimi and said, Hey, we we're thinking of doing this. Are you okay with it? And Sam Raimi was like, of course I'm okay with it. Are you kidding me? Cause he's like the coolest guy in, in the world. And so it just, uh, when you can see studio machinations and in this case, the machinations sort of came out on the side of the mm-hmm. character and one could even say the fans and not only the new fans but the people that are our age and in some cases probably even older who saw that and loved what JK Simmons was doing. And it's just like, yeah, we're going to pay tribute to them. And also when it comes right, he's still also just the best person for the character. Um, And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's weird that all of these big lofty thoughts happened as a function of this tiny little cameo that could, that maybe they approached it only as a cameo, but even in that way, I imagine there was pushback and I like that everybody involved eventually said, no, this is what we're doing. And, uh, and so it was just, I don't have much, I don't have really anything different to say about Spider-Man Far From Home than I said a year ago when I watched it, but, uh, but I didn't want to spoil this last time and I'm fine <laughs> to spoil it now so that I can talk about it. Like, again, it sounds weird, but I almost get a little choked up, not because of, oh, this thing from when I was younger, it's more just the understanding that that's what it is. And it was able to cut through the usual studio bullshit. Uh, I, another movie. So I hopefully won't spend too much, too long on this movie. Um, even though the movie didn't grant me the same leniency, uh, cause it's <laughs> two hours and 49 minutes long. But, uh, I watched, um, the painted bird directed mm. by Vaclav Marhul. Um, which is an adaptation of a novel by Jerzy Kaczynski. Um, and uh, this is, this, this movie is, like I said, two hours and 49 minutes and there's almost not a redeemable second in the entire movie. Wow. I hated it so much. And I, I mean, that's even, <clears throat> well, I should say that I think stylistically, in terms of craft, I actually think the, the the movie looks great. It's shot in beautiful, stark black and white. It has fantastic sound design. It has, I think, a good sense of rhythm and pacing. But it's all in service of a movie that I find completely reprehensible. And so oh, wow. there's nothing I could say. It's 
the 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 premise is that there's a there's a young boy um who never speaks the entire movie um and uh he has been sent by his parents we kind of i'm kidding this is kind of stuff we don't learn till later but when we meet him at the beginning he's been sent to live in the country by his parents because he's a Jewish boy and they're trying to get him away from the Nazis. But, um, within 10 minutes, uh, uh, well, okay. Within one minute of the movie starting, some local boys have not, have chased him through the woods, pinned him down, stolen his pet ferret and set it on fire while it's alive. That's one minute into the movie by 10 minutes into the movie. The, woman who's taking care of him. I don't know if it's an aunt or just another woman, uh, has died. And when he discovers her body, he's so shocked that he drops the kerosene lamp and the entire house burns down. So we're 10 minutes into the movie and he's lost his pet and his caretaker in his home. And, and so, uh, and it's just brutal. And the brutality just does not stop. Um, uh, it's just, the, the movie has chapters that are named after his different, he gets shuttled from adult to adult. Each one of them, it almost becomes like a sick, like guessing game. It's like, oh, what kind of creep or pervert or sadist is this adult going to turn out to be? You know, yeah. uh, it's um, it, it's it, it, to the point that it becomes funny. I mean, it's not actually funny because like the movie has terrible, terrible things happen on a regular just a clockwork basis you know uh people getting their eyes scooped out uh with with spoons um there's like and that's there's stuff that i would be to that i won't describe to you that happens in the movie because i I, like i don't think it would be fair to the listeners to have these awful things described to them so it uh it, it becomes almost a joke it feels almost like this is a movie that exists within another movie that's making fun of art house pretentious sure. european movies um that it's just three hours of black and white punishment um uh that i i almost did start just laughing at certain points when when terrible things would happen and this is despite the fact that you've got a, a great a number of um character actors who pop up um stone Skarsgård, harvey keitel um, Julian Sands, Barry Pepper, um, uh, Bruno, uh, uh, Udo Kier, uh, is yeah. in it. Um, and that's, that's great. Great for them. But, uh, the movie is, it's, I just could, I cannot recommend it to, to anyone. Um, it, it reminded me of like the art house version of one of those, like self-consciously trying to hard shock movies, like a Serbian film. Sure like that's that's what this is um so do you think i mean you know in the spirit of giving the director the benefit of the doubt as much as is possible um why do you think he was so just steering so into this misery and torture and all for so long like do you think he's trying to comment on it well i have a i have a guess which is that i think I don't know because I haven't read the novel, but I suspect that maybe he is doing the Zack Snyder 300 or Zack Snyder Watchmen thing of being too faithful to the novel without realizing that film is a different medium and that these things can in the novel, you know, there's a reason that when Mary Heron adapted American Psycho, she and, um, uh, Genevieve Turner, who I can't remember who wrote, wrote the screenplay with her, changed it so much because 
what works as allegory on the page would be ridiculous to actually film. And I think that seems to be what Vaclav Marhul didn't realize is that the painted bird as a novel might be an allegory about Eastern Europe during world war two. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't read it, but I'm saying yeah. it, this, the brutality might work and the, and the main character not ever talking might work on the page, but films a different medium. And, and I, I think about something more recent. Um, I know you're a big Babadook fan. Did you ever see the Nightingale, Jennifer Kent's? No, uh, I didn't. So that's another movie that is punishing. It is brutal and is punishing, yeah. but for a reason. She's using it to actually illustrate something. She's using the, the the visuals of punishment and of brutality and of rape to actually illustrate uh, uh, ideas or or transport you to a, a, a time and place. This just seems to be. Uh, a director that's made a dare a bet with himself to see if he can keep up in the up in the ante for three hours um see, I but like it has to... the opposite effect it becomes numbing over oh over sure time. yeah i like the idea that the director is afraid of what fans of the book will think and so he's like well i better keep everything in there so that like some fans aren't gonna be like what about the eyeball scooping yeah this guy's a hack <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, okay, so my uh, next film is a 2018 film that I didn't see uh, uh, until uh, this week. Uh, Greg Ber Berlanti, I don't know how you say it. Uh, the film is Love, Simon, um, okay. starring Nick Robinson, Josh Dumal, uh, Jennifer Garner. And it is uh, the story of a, a closeted gay um, uh, teenager in high school and there's like a blog in which another, another kid, he doesn't come out, but he, he, he anonymously says, Hey, I'm, you know, nobody knows I'm gay and all that. And so our main character played by Nick Robinson uh, starts to connect with this other kid. And the two essentially inspire each other um, to be more open about their sexuality and all that. Um, it's very good. Oh, it's okay. It's in many ways, this, so we watched it as a function of my, uh, my queer cinema. Well, it's not a whole class, but this, the queer cinema section of my crossing cultures class. And, you know, one of the things that I feel like if there is a, uh, an audience that Hollywood sees as like fringe, it sounds strange, but like the way, you know, that group is no longer considered fringe is when a movie is made that is perfectly fine. <laughs> Nothing amazing about it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. this is not, uh, and it's, and certainly the, 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 the main character, he feels like he can't totally be himself, that he has to be secretive about who he is. But at the same time, this is not a, this is not a boys don't cry situation where his parents are just like these oppressive uh, people. He just isn't ready to be, to say this yet. And then when he does, like he actually is, is met with a, a great deal of, of support and all of that. So it's not necessarily a film <clears throat> about oppression. Um, and I think that's, to me, that's a, a, a an indicator of, of, of a more main, of, of this type of story being mm -hmm. more mainstream. Whereas, you know, 20 years ago, this is like independent film uh, with yeah. a notably low budget. <clears throat> Uh, and so, but as is the case, and it's, it's based on, on, on a novel that I, that I haven't read, but like, as is the case with anything that is, that is sort of mainstream and acceptable is that uh, it's, 
it, it has the same pitfalls as any other movie uh, that deals with like, oh, these, this is kind of a, a goofy high school comedy, you know, that has relationships in it. There are times where it's like it spends way too long on a subplot that really doesn't need to be there and that sort of thing. But by and large, I think it's a very, I think it's a very touching film. And Nick Robinson, who plays Simon, I'm not super, I'm familiar with him as a function of Jurassic World. Mm. And I feel like I've seen him in, in maybe one other thing. I never thought of him as a particularly dynamic actor. Uh, and, the, and the nature of this character, Simon, is that he's, very, he's a little bit withdrawn. He is holding back. Um, but you have, to get, you have to know that there's a lot, a lot more going on underneath the surface. And I think Nick Robinson does a really great job with it. I, I'm, I'm genuinely impressed by how he plays this character because this is a comedy, I'd say, first and foremost. And so he, he is... Uh, he has to play those moments while also playing sort of the not not literally like this tortured soul it's not quite as angsty as that but uh but this he has to play this secretive uh part of it and uh it's it's a very good movie i think i think you would like it it's if you're familiar with 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 uh queer cinema or maybe something like the less mainstream less accessible you know like call me by your name which i still haven't even seen but like Wait, is this true? yeah i haven't um oh, wow. even though i like everybody in that cast and hmm. i've heard it's visually gorgeous um same year uh, that was a 2018 movie yes no that's 2017 that's 2017 okay you've oh, had a yes, whole yes. other year to watch that one <laughs> yeah i'm busy um, rewatching spider-man you... far from home thank you did you uh, pick this as a representative of queer cinema so we watched Boys Don't Cry. We only had two weeks. So we okay. uh, Boys Don't Cry last week and then Love, Simon this week because I wanted to honestly show a tonal difference mm-hmm. um, and then uh, show a lot of like clips and trailers and that sort of thing. Um, and, yeah, I, was, uh, I, was, I hope you showed something from Greg Araki because uh, to me that's when you say queer cinema i don't just yeah, yeah. To me, i don't just think of cinema that's about about lgbtq characters i think about like weird like pushing the envelope like 90s independent cinema yeah. that's that's the that's the yeah. shit i like queer in in every definition of the word in that instance yeah there was um, i mean i'm i'm uh, i can't remember who it was but there was a uh, a couple years ago it might have been one it might have been when love simon came out or so, something had come out that was like a mainstream like queer romance yeah and it was like a, a gay film critic who was like i'm really glad for this like that we're getting to a point where this is more mainstream but i do miss when queer cinema was actually queer yeah and that was that's that's kind of the what i the point i wanted to make also you know i felt bad i guess i felt kind of bad subjecting my students to boys don't cry because it's not an easy watch no yeah that's Um, i've only seen it the once yeah uh this is my second time seeing it and it's like okay i think i'm good for the rest (laughs) of my life um but uh but yeah and i'll say this like when i kicked off the this this series um Last week, I, I started by saying like, okay, we're talking about queer cinema. Now, the thing is this, I'm old enough that that is a word that you do not say, but apparently it's okay now if you use it in a very specific context. But yeah. like, there's almost always like a hitch in my, in my cadence before I say it because it just feels gross uh, for me to say it. You know, it feels mean. And it's like, no, this is, that's what it's called. So it's fine, but uh, yeah, it's a yeah. it's a weird situation. But but it okay, was so, a, but I was glad I saw Love Simon. Uh, so the uh, this is a, uh, at Vulture. What's happening to queer cinema in the LGBT film boom from May twenty eighteen? So it is 
around when Love Simon comes out. Mm-hmm. The writer is E. Alex Young. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, he writes about uh, Love Simon more than once. So that must be what uh, inspired it. Uh, oh, well, we got, the- I, I, I got one more movie. We have to hurry up because oh, yeah, we have a hard out. Um, did you have something else you wanted to say real quick? Just that the film was also fairly successful. That's the other thing. Like it did well at the box office. And again, like this would have been a movie on the fringe if it were 20, maybe even 10 years ago. Uh, and so the, the fact that it exists in the form that it does and his, and did as well as it did, I think is, is worth noting. Um, all right. Finally, um, I I watched the movie that I've been looking forward to. Uh, it's coming out, um, you know, uh, VOD and, and stuff uh, next week, I think. Now, Tyler, you know, there's a genre that I'm a fan of mm-hmm. that I refer to as the British Village movie. Oh, sure. It's a, it takes place usually in a, in a quaint British village, and it's a bunch of nice people who band together to do something outside of their comfort zone. Sometimes it's a little risque sometimes not uh and so there's a new version of that movie uh directed by someone who did an old version of that movie uh peter cataneo is best known for directing the full monty oh okay um and he's got a new one out called military wives uh which is based on a true story about uh, a bunch of um wives on a military camp who formed a choir while their uh, husbands were uh, on on a tour of duty um ended up performing on television. They made a reality show about it apparently in, in, in Britain. Um, and now it's a, it's a movie and, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm a sucker for these kind of movies, especially what happens so often is that even though they're like these formulaic movies, there's just so many good British actors yeah. <laughs> that you end up getting a good cast. And so the two leads here are Chris and Scott Thomas and Sharon Horgan. Um, both people I'm a big fan of. Do you know Sharon Horgan? Uh, I'm, I'm, I know you don't like me to do this. I'm looking her up right now. Okay. Cause I know you don't uh, watch, um, you watch even less TV than I do these days, but she had that show. She and Rob Delaney had a show called catastrophe okay. on, on Amazon. Um, so yeah, she's, uh, she's a fantastic uh, writer and actress. Oh, she was in game night. Oh yes. Okay. She's oh, right. Delightful. Yes. Yes. She was in game night. Um, so yeah, you've got Kristen Scott Thomas as the like Colonel's wife. Who's like the sort of uptight by the book. She wants the choir to sing, you know, uh, hymns and, and to read music and, and, and to have auditions or whatever. And Sharon Horgan's the one who's like, Hey, let's get drunk to, and go to karaoke and find some tears of fears and Yazoo songs and stuff to sing and have fun with this. Um, and of course all the, all the other wives like Sharon Horgan, much, much better. And, um, but what, what I'm Real describing, act situation. <laughs> what I'm describing are archetypes, um, uh, or, or yeah, but in the hands of these t- these great actors, um, they're really they're really people, and I think um, the movie definitely wants you to um, acknowledge uh, the sacrifice of the soldiers and the sacrifice that their families make right. um, at home. But it's also not, it's not pure. It's not purely like a sanitized version. Like it's still pro military in a way that doesn't agree with my own politics, but it's mm-hmm. also uh, a, a movie that um, starts with uh, Chris and Scott Thomas's character listening to uh, a recount of how many British soldiers have been killed in Afghanistan mm-hmm. and including how many people are 
opposed to um to 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 the war so it's it doesn't like try to hoodwink you into into it's not just pure uh, pro-military jingoism it's a more tempered pro-military jingoism yeah. that i think at least is a little bit respectful of its audience audience's intelligence which weirdly makes me more willing to like the movie even though i don't agree with its its politics but you've got sure. um yeah there's definitely like some tear-jerking scenes there's some big funny scenes uh you know um they you know they get drunk uh plenty there's a lot of uh <laughs> a lot of fun uh drunkenness and and shenanigans and there's the there's the office the the guy who works at the military base next to the choir practice room who buys some noise canceling uh headphones while they're practicing but then at one point like halfway through the movie and they're starting to get good he's like like takes them off and uh um oh our uh <laughs> our, um, our next guest is here so uh that, that's it <laughs>